going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I'm Daniel Yufusi. Thank you so much for joining. And I want to start by saying, Dolphins fans, we can take a deep breath. We can decompress, take a step back. The trade deadline has passed without any big fireworks. The Dolphins stand packed. They didn't make a big move. They did not trade Deshaun Watson, trade for Deshaun Watson. They did not trade anyone away. Uh, so we can kind of put this to bed for the time being. Deshaun Watson will remain with the Houston Texans for the rest of the 2021 season. Obviously, we don't know where this story may take us after the 2021 season unfolds, uh, concludes. But for now, uh, the Dolphins will ride out the rest of the season with Tua Tungvaloa as their starter. Uh, I know that a lot of fans want us to kind of put this to bed. Uh, but we're going to take one more episode to kind of unpack everything that happened or didn't happen at the trade deadline. And uh, I'm so lucky to have uh, somebody who's been on the ground in Houston um, th- throughout the summer and the, the first half of the 2021 season. I want to introduce Brooks Kubina, who's a Texans beat, uh, beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. Uh, Brooks, thanks so much, man, for coming on. Yeah, man, really enjoying it. Um, you know, like I said, first, uh, first year on the beat, so good to connect with you, man. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I was really going to start off with saying that, you know, I, I feel like our our first seasons on our respective beats have been really interesting for various reasons. You can point to a whole <laughs> bunch of things. But the common thread is Deshaun Watson. And as I said before, Deshaun Watson uh, was not traded to the Dolphins uh, despite the reported interest in the ongoing talks uh, with the Houston Texans. Uh, there was a lot kind of at in play with these trade talks and, you know, the latest reports are that the Dolphins wanted some resolution to his legal situation, which as we've reported, I'm sure you've reported, um, it includes 22 civil suits alleging sexual harassment, misconduct, and 10 criminal complaints, um, investigations from all different levels, whether it's the Houston Police Department, FBI, NFL, they're still ongoing. Um, so there really wasn't going to be any um, quick, swift resolution and, and really what the final reports were that, um, you know, the Dolphins didn't feel comfortable at this point consummating a trade. Um, I think that a really interesting development was that uh, from the NFL Network that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross was um, granted permission to speak with Watson, and I would have loved to be on a fly on the wall with that conversation, but I'm sure we'll never figure that out. But, again, um, this story is closed for now. Um, if the two sides choose to do so, they can restart these negotiations um, closer to the start of the next league year, which is March 16th, uh, 2022. But for now, um, these teams will kind of go their separate ways, and they are meeting up on Sunday, which kind of makes it a perfect time to talk about everything that's been going on. And and I want to start by asking you, Brooks, um, you know, and we spoke about it a little bit before, but can you kind of take me to – Back to training camp um, when, you know, the, obviously these allegations came out earlier in the spring or so. Um, and, and by then, Deshaun Watson had already requested a trade and said he didn't want to play for this organization. But from training camp up till now where he's just not – he's with the team but not really with the team, what has this been like as a view reporter? Yeah, well, you know, to this point, remember, like Deshaun Watson has not spoken publicly – uh, with the media since January, since the 2020 season ended. So, you know, throughout the off season, throughout um, from from March until the uh, civil lawsuits uh, piled up to 22, uh, and then after that into the summer, and then whenever training camp began, um, th- there had been silence across, uh, except for uh, the attorneys that were representing uh, Watson and then representing the women who filed suit. So whenever training camp opened, 
that was a big deal to see Watson come to camp because he's still part of this team um, that he had before the allegations came out. He had uh, wanted to to uh, be traded. He made that clear um, uh, before David Culley was hired, before Nick Casario was hired, and um, you know, he wanted out of Houston. So um, all that built up to training camp, and it was just an awkward situation where this player is still a part of the team and counting towards the team's official roster, and he was showing up to practice. And, you know, reporters every day, we were asking Nick Casario uh, updates on Watson. We're uh, asking David Coley updates on Watson. And their MO from the beginning was just to not they, – they were playing it down, saying nothing has changed. He's there. He's not a distraction. Um, and that happened every day throughout training camp. And in, you know how it is in a training camp. There lots of lots of media there. They're there in their space. They're watching practice. And Deshaun Watson would come in with the team um, every day, and he was taking the last bit of reps. Sometimes he'd go to an, a separate field and work out by himself. There's an odd practice where he was practicing as a safety, or at least standing there, <laughs> and, that, yeah. walk, walking there, like what is going on? Um, and which would really not really uh, line up with uh, nothing has changed kind of thing. That was always the the question because Eden he would. And there were days where he wouldn't be there, and then you'd ask the day before. Uh, I mean, so you'd, you'd ask, you know, Coley before practice began, what's up with Watson, and you get nothing has changed. You go to practice, and Watson's not there, which means something has changed. So, like, throughout training camp, that was there, – there wasn't much answers on what was going on. And then uh, I think it culminated whenever um, Watson was coming down at one point and just um, – you know, whenever he was uh, at, you know, came, came down with the rest of the team, and um, uh, people were shooting video like them uh, of him like they did every day, and he put his arms up and looked at a camera and said, "You know, why are you all feeling filming me every day? It's the <laughs> same. You know, I don't know yeah. if I could swear on this podcast, but you the, know same, the same, the same as sugar honey ice cream. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the same crap. Yeah. You know, and um, and that." got posted as social media that blew up. And then from then on, Watson was out of view. And from then until now, and we've asked several times behind the scenes um, and, and to call a, in press conferences. And the answer has been that he is showing up to work every day because if he's not, then you, know, you get fined, especially in training camp. Um, and he's just doing his work on his own time, separately from the team, uh, still working out sometimes, um, you know, we have COVID tests on Wednesdays uh, to uh, to be a part of the team. I'm sure you guys go with that with the Dolphins uh, yeah. um, as reporters. And he'll be on the field working out. Um, you know, he's making throws and, and stuff, keeping in shape, and then he'll go off and do his own thing. Um, and, you know, that's kind of been his involvement. And sometimes we, we talk to players and they'd say that he still talks to them and there was uh, – he, he was a part of team meetings um, with quarterbacks and giving them advice on stuff. Um, so that's that's been his involvement as much with the team. And, uh, you know, but by the time the regular season began, the expectation was that uh, the lawsuits were, um, you know, uh, troubling enough and as numerous enough that uh, it would it would it would bring uh, Commissioner Roger Goodell to put him on the exempt list. And that didn't happen. And, you know, with civil lawsuits, there's never been a player who's been put on the exempt list. So that's been yeah. what they've maintained. And, you know, uh, last week, 
uh, Goodell told people in New York at the league um, uh, meetings is like, you know, that they have not uh, received enough information on the NFL's investigation that would warrant putting them on the list. And they don't want to interfere in the um, investigations that are happening. Uh, the, the civil lawsuits are still in the discovery phase. And uh, there's 10 of the 10 of the women um, and one separate from the lawsuits that have uh, uh, put in uh, police uh, complaints about this. And then the FBI briefly investigated this, too. So, um, you know, Rusty Harden, who represents Deshaun Watson, said that the FBI was involved because of uh, exploring an extortion case. And then Tony Busby, who represents the women. Uh, denied that and said that's not the case. They're investing Watson, so um, investigating Watson. So who knows? Uh, the FBI does not comment on their um, on their investigations. So that uh, from then until now, until last week, really, whenever um, things started to heat up between the Dolphins and the Texans, um, there was really this silence. But uh, between the beginning of the end of training camp until then, and Watson was just he had to be a part of the 53 man roster, which meant. Um, he was counting, and they weren't able to use another player. And if you've seen how the Texans are, they need to maximize their roster in every way. I'm not mm-hmm. saying one player would make a difference for a one in 17 was lots of issues, but it's it's a minor annoyance um, if you're trying to build a roster. Um, and they've had to deal with that uh, throughout the season, and they've kept him on because uh, in one way you can see him as in uh, this as he's he's the piece that you could trade to a team like the Dolphins and receive three first-round picks and two second-round picks or uh, some uh, exchange of players that will eventually allow the new regime to build the franchise in their own image. So um, that's kind of the, the, the whole picture of what's what's led to this moment and kind of what it was like during training camp. Yeah, and as you said, you know, you know the reports were, I mean, from various, it, it didn't matter where they were coming from. There were reports from all different sides um, kind of throughout the past couple of months that the Dolphins were kind of the front runners. They remained interested in, as we know, Watson was really kind of trying to angle his, his leverage with the no trade clause to go to Miami. Um, and, and, and I know your, your, your colleague John McLean even reported himself, um, that, you know, they were really close in, in recent weeks. I guess, you know, there were, I, I think he even reported that, or it may have been him or someone else that, the owner, Cal McNair, really wanted to kind of move on and, and get this trade um, out of the way so that they kind of move with that rebuild. But Nick Casario being, you know, a first-time GM, he really wanted to maximize um, the the trade value of Deshaun Watson, I guess. I mean, you, you just said, you know, the, they were seeking three first-round picks and, you know, multiple draft assets or a player assets, whatever it may be. I guess how surprised are you at the end of the day that they just kind of said they kind of stuck Dug their dug their foot in the in the ground and said, "Hey, we're not gonna um, let up on our price and maybe just trade them for three first round picks and um, and agree to kind of keep this this I, I really want to say problem and this whole situation in their hands." They they could have easily have said, "Okay, we'll we'll take off the 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 two extra for extra draft picks and we'll just trade them for like three first and a, and a third and we'll kind of call it a day. How surprised you that they decided to kind of keep this ongoing in their franchise and their organization? Well, you know, I think at this point, if you're Nick Casario, you're looking at it as this is the price and what I, what I feel that this quarterback is worth. And at this point, if you're the only one that uh, Deshaun Watson is clearing his no trade clause for, then, 
you know, I, that's my asking price. And, yeah. um, you know, so I'm not surprised in that sense, because if you go into the off season, then you've got the NFL draft, you've got other quarter. I mean, think of all the, how many backup quarterbacks there are playing in the league right now. Yeah. And if, Say in the off season, we're just talking hypotheticals here at this point. In the, in the off season, you don't know what's going to happen right now with the legal issues. If they become resolved, if they, whether the whether the uh, Houston District Attorney's Office, uh, there's a grand jury uh, investigation going to this. Uh, maybe they decide that there's enough to charge Watson. Maybe they decide there's not enough to charge Watson. You don't know at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why the NFL hasn't taken any action either. So um, you're running. Uh, you, you're, you're making that decision on because you could you could say in one way, um, you know, do you do you think that um, if you trade him now and then you go into the offseason and say he does um, get criminally charged, then maybe you get less than you would have whenever you would have that or you get nothing. You know, so they're, 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 that's like all the kind of hypotheticals I'm thinking. Yeah, kind of like the, the, the risk. The well, mind. Right. So and it doesn't surprise me that. Um, you know, the, that the Dolphins didn't ultimately make the deal. And just for the sake of how serious an issue it is, you know, it, that if, if, if you're the owner of a franchise and you're going to take on this, it, it's, it, it behooves you to talk to the guy. And that, uh, you know, Stephen Ross made that contact last night and to try and get some clarity as to the situation, um, it, it doesn't surprise me that whenever – you're trying to anybody that was going to try and make a move at Deshaun Watson would prefer those legal issues to be resolved. So uh, for that being in the way of a trade, that's not all that surprising. Um, you know, you would you would think that uh, that that'd be something people would want resolved before you you take on someone, and especially um, parting with as much draft capital as there is. So yeah. um, you know, this moves on for another three months, as you said in March. Um, We'll see where the clarity is, and if uh, you know if Deshaun Watson had an opportunity to um, you know to uh, to to settle with these cases, um, perhaps over the next couple of months those neg- negotiations will continue, and by the end of the uh, by by the off season uh, he could uh, create an opportunity for him to go elsewhere. So um, you know that that's really what's uh, and I, I guess guess what I would look at it at this point. Yeah, I mean, the, the real interesting for me, and I said it before, is just uh, what you mentioned in the latter part of that, just Stephen Ross reaching out or really being granted permission. And I'm assuming the way it would go is, I guess, the Nick Casario or I guess the Houston front office would grant that permission, I'm assuming, um, and he'd get to speak with them. And like I said, I'd love to be a fly on the wall with that conversation. Um, and, and while and while from a from a purely like football standpoint, I definitely understand why the owner would kind of insert himself um, and and try to get some some clarity with the situation. But you know, it's, it's kind of weird. On it's kind of crazy on the Dolphins side now. Um, I know that there's a lot of frustration with Dolphins fans, and even like of, of Ross even inserting himself to that to that point. Um, you know, I think that, and I think that a lot of fans and even me and members of the media thought that when the and, and, and again, I'll, I'll kind of step back and say there was no way that this trade was going to be consummated at this point without, uh, you know, some kind of direct, you know, conversations with Deshaun Watson. I mean, whether that was through him or his agent or whatever, lawyer, there was no way that like they, they had to be some communication from the Dolphins and, and Watson side in order to kind of get some clarity on what's going on. I think there's a lot of frustration from uh, Dolphins fans, and I think that a lot a lot of people understand uh, or thought that. 
um, when they were doing the trade negotiations, it was just kind of speaking to Casario and speaking to Watson generally. They were saying, hey, if we're going to do this trade, we'd like you to settle or we'd like you to kind of get this resolved. Not them really interjecting themselves. And I know, um, I don't know if you've seen, but the, the attorney for uh, some of the women, uh, for, for the women, you know, he's, there's been some, he put out a statement and, you know, there's been really some kind of loose allegations or accusations that, um, you know, Stephen Ross and the Dolphins really interjected themselves in this and um, kind of negotiating the number of settlements that they feel comfortable with in order to facilitate the trade and it's kind of getting messy in that in that aspect. Um, I mean, we're going to see what happens as a result of that. Um, but it's just you know, it's all it's all it seems like things are kind of getting muddy now and the Dolphins are kind of kind of coming out of this just looking terrible. You know, the Dolphins, I mean, the Texans are fine. You know, they're they're dealing with the situation the best they can, but now it's like the Dolphins that have to kind of bear the brunt of the the public side of this and kind of flirting with Deshaun Watson while having um, to attend about Loa. So in that, you know, it's like, like we just close one chapter and we're opening another. Uh, and I really want to kind of, to sum this up, I want to ask you, I mean, there's no way to, for, to predict what's going to happen with the legal situation, but, I mean, what's your guess you know, a week into the into the next league year. I mean, do you think that they're able to kind of get this trade uh, to the finish line, or do you think that it'll kind of draw um, into the you know the free agency and the draft next year and whatnot? Well, I I, I have no idea, and to um, you know make a guess at something I think would be a little bit uh, premature uh, at this point. Um, you 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 make a you make a point about how um, you know how how it call and trying to figure out um you know whether whether he was going to sell and how much how much he would settle that that makes sense um, yeah. because if if the timeline of it last week going into this week of okay um you know i'd like you to settle these and 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 if you do that then we'll uh do the trade um you know getting the legal process just in in terms of just day-to-day stuff it takes a long time for these things to get done and like yeah. a week turnaround to negotiate all of that that's not going to happen is, is too short it's too brief a time and it would make sense and i'm just providing like just kind of conjecture on it my own thinking is um you know if you're making that call with watson and you say all right well if, if we if if we trade for you then are you going to still settle eventually and yeah. there's no guarantee of that and unless you were sitting there think, thinking okay there's a guarantee that he's going to do this then Okay, then we'll go ahead and go forward with this. Um, and you're 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 you're, you're towing the line there. So, um, you know, ho- however that goes, I mean, there's been, you know, he has not settled to this point. Um, you know, uh, I I can only offer kind of my uh, you know, what what I see down the line is like this st- still remains the same choices as there were uh, throughout before. It's you, um, you know, this is this is entering. Uh, the, uh, the the discovery phase and uh, that that would that would lead to either going into uh, into court and, and letting this uh, play out throughout the legal system and then uh, that regardless of what uh, Watson does uh, with the the lawsuits there um, there still is that uh, criminal investigation and that's yeah. um, being looked at there too so that that's separate from this and um, you know, that would be part of the process as well. And, um, you know, I just I don't have enough information about that criminal case uh, to really predict what would happen down the road. So at this yeah. point, that was what was on the table. 
and uh, you know there was there was an opportunity uh, and, and some talks of settling and for Watson to move on uh, to the Dolphins, and uh, that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially with the criminal case, the criminal complaints, you can never. I mean, like like you said, the grand jury investigation is still in that process, and that could definitely change what happens. But um, you know, it just feels like Watson is so you know so set on going to the Dolphins, and the Dolphins are just so set on finding a way to trade him. I, I don't know. It just seems like eventually this trade will come together in some some regard. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, at this point, it's certainly going to linger into the 2022 season because, um, like, like we said, the NFL hasn't acted on it, and it seems like they're not really in a, in a, in a rush to put him on the exempt list or issue any suspension um, based on the, the state of their investigation. So, um, like yeah, we said, what, yeah. what, and what and what I do know and, and what's been made clear is that Watson does not want to play for the Texans ever again. So yeah. it, it, you know, at, at, at some point, if his legal issues are resolved, um, and that he will move on to another team, whoever that may be. So if that's there and that's the opportunity, then the Dolphins have been the one that have been most involved, and um, I, I would imagine that if that opportunity presents itself again in March that uh, they, they might be able to work out a deal. But um, until that time, and, and again, whatever may happen between the three months between now and then, you know, who, who, who knows whether that will be uh, completed uh, by that point. Yeah, like I said, we, we closed the, the book on this chapter for sure, but we're, you know, the, the story is still just being written. And, um, you know, you and I are definitely going to be on top of this tracking story. I know you a little bit more than me because you're still on the Texans roster. Um, but we're going to take a short break because uh, there is a game being played. I know all the talk has been about Watson and the potential right? trade. Yeah, that's not going through anymore, but uh, or at least for now. But uh, there's still a game on Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium. And on the other side of this break, we're going to discuss that. So stay stay with us right there. We're still here on the Dolphins In-Depth podcast. I still got Brooks with me. And we spent the first half talking a lot about Deshaun Watson, uh, the trade that did not happen, and what's next for both teams. Um, but like I said, there's a football game to be played. <laughs> Um, you know, whether you will be watching that or not, uh, is up for you to decide. Yeah. But yeah, these are two one and seven teams who are going to be, uh, clashing in South Florida on Sunday. And, um, you know, it's just really interesting that both these teams are one and seven because, um, I know on the Texan side, maybe you could have, you know, foreseen a, a one and seven start to the season. But on the Dolphins side, I don't think many people saw a one and seven start or really um, pictured that. You know, there's supposed to be a there's supposed to be two franchises kind of heading in opposite directions. And right now, they're at least record wise the same. Um, and you know, for me, it's interesting because these two teams are not really linked, just linked because of the uh, Deshaun Watson potential trade and those trade talks, but because of the Laramie Tunsil trade. Um, back in 2019 and at, at that point the two organizations were again supposed to be going in different directions uh Deshaun Watson was you know on the team and playing um I believe uh Bill O'Brien was still the GM at that time and um he was making a lot of questionable trades but but you know I think the thought process in, on Houston's side was that uh, this was a up-and-coming team in the AFC that was kind of trying to uh, use their draft picks to acquire uh, proven talent and, you know, really make the, that step to be a contender right away. The Dolphins were really trying to sell, and, you know, they were in the first year of the Chris Greer, Ryan Flores there. They were trying to 
tear down and rebuild the organization. Um, and, you know, them trading Tunsil for that bounty of draft picks and assets was, you know, just one, one phase of that rebuild. Um, but we're here two years later, uh, week nine it is, I believe, and they're one in seven teams. Uh, I first want to ask you, what has it been like kind of covering this rebuild? I, I know David Cully from when I covered the Ravens the past uh, two years. He's a great guy. I'm really happy that he got this opportunity. But it, it looks like it's a real, you know, uphill battle to kind of get this this franchise turned around to where uh, everyone in Houston wants it to be. What's it been like kind of covering it? Well, there are a lot of hyperbolic statements being made about how bad the Texans are right now. But really, before the season even began, this was the outcome that was most likely. And most people knew that. Um, you look at the roster, how they had they had a, a lot of veterans, a lot of one-year contract. They basically blew up the roster, and half of it was different than what it was the year before. Um, all, all the pieces that you looked at from top to bottom, the best play on the entire team was the starting left tackle. That was not going to be a team that was going to compete for the playoffs. It was not going to be a team that made sense to even have a winning record. And once they lost Tyrod Taylor in week two, they lost the like uh, probability of even being remotely competitive. So losing seven games is not, uh, is not a surprise. The, the surprise has been how, how much they are, the gap is in their competitiveness between them and everyone else. They were losing 38 to nothing. Yeah. Whenever they sat Matt Stafford in the fourth quarter. And I asked David Cully, I said, can you remember a game in the regular season where the opponent sat their quarterback in the third quarter? And he, and he couldn't recall. And you know, that's not a situation where he might have he might have to sit down. I think he's been around for 18 years. But just off yeah. the top of his head, he couldn't remember. I mean, it's the, the Texans were so unthreatening offensively and as a team that the Rams decided to go on fourth and one when they were averaging 6.4 yards per carry to split out five wide and try and pass it on fourth and one near the goal line because they knew they'd get the ball back again, because they knew that Davis Mills, who was the rookie quarterback of the Texans, couldn't lead the, the, the offense down the field 95 yards, much less 60 yards, um, to, get a, to get a scoring opportunity. So, you know, the, the team, there are so many, um, so many pieces on this team that need to be rebuilt. They need to find either new players or, or, or new situations with them. Um, that it makes you even wonder if they go and get the number one overall pick, if the number one overall pick would even help mitigate any of these issues. I mean, they, this it, the the Deshaun Watson trade, much less any other trade they make to acquire picks. It, it's that those are the things. Two three years down the line, they need a lot of help. And um, you know, this from the from now until the end of the season, you're pretty much going to see the same issues again and again, and the Texans are just going to look bad. Because they are yeah. bad. It, it, when you lose thirty-eight to nothing, um, well, I, I think of it that way. And in the fourth quarter, they spurred off. Gar- it was garbage time. Yeah, <laughs> against yeah. their against their junior varsity. Um, and then you go to the Dolphins, who are one and seven, and they're a seven-point favorite. Like not not a toss-up, not three points, not four, seven points. Like that that shows where people view you and where the money is generally people kind of understand where the expectations are on the team. Um, so re- really the the whole port of, uh, part of this was Nick Casario began this season and, and, and acquired veteran players and tried to instill a culture of competitiveness with the team. 
Um, and, and they resembled that at the beginning of the year whenever Tyrod Taylor was playing. And uh, yeah, they were hanging with the Cleveland team that has since been underperforming. Um, but if Tyrod Taylor doesn't get hurt, you think they win? I think they win against the Panthers. I think they may compete with some of these other games. Mm-hmm. And uh, you start to have a little bit of that because they value that more in building a base and figuring out which player is going to be part of the team long term. Um, I've asked about this, and I haven't really got a firm answer on it, but I just don't think that Casario and the coaches can properly evaluate any of the players in a 40 to nothing game and a yeah. 35, 31 to five game and a 31 to three game. They, I mean, whatever starters were in Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, um, and, uh, and the game before that, the, the starters outscored the Texans a hundred to eight. Oh and goodness. I just, I just don't think you can figure out like, is the cornerback, linebacker, de- defense alignment, any of these players, they're, they're operating in that kind of mindset of being blown out. Are they are they still competing enough? Are you, are you seeing enough schematically to say, all right, this is what's going to work down, down the line? Um, I, I just don't know. And part of this, too, in the situations, you start wondering, um, like Lonnie Johnson, he's a safety uh, he converted cornerback. He's been starting at free safety every now and then for the Texans. And he was one of those that was thought to uh, perhaps be traded at the deadline here. Um, mm-hmm. Eric Murray was acquired by the Texans while they were still competitive, still trying to make their playoff push um, uh, last year and the year before. And he's he's making one of the highest contracts among safeties, and he's a special teams player right now. Um, are, you, are they playing Lonnie Johnson because they wanted to try and play him and see whether they can um, trade him for picks? I mean, right now, I, you start wondering why why players are playing, and, and right now, whenever they're one and seven, um, Tyrod Taylor just now came back. He's practicing. Uh, and they're going to make the decision later this week, and uh, whether he plays against the Dolphins or not. And at this point, what does it matter if Tyrod Taylor, in, in, in the schemes of competitiveness and trying to make a playoff push, yeah, what does that matter? I mean, you're going to go and play and maybe beat the Dolphins. You lose the number one pick. You lose the number two pick, maybe. Uh, and then say you win a couple of these other games against the Jets, against the Titans, who now have, don't have Derrick Henry anymore. Like, what's yeah. there's never ever been a team that started one and seven. I know they, I know they added a 17th game this year, but there's never yeah. been a team that's made the playoffs that way. Um, and most of these, there's 31 players who are in the final year of their contract right now. And how many of those? After watching them get blown out game after game, are they going to resign? Yeah, I mean, how many? It's, how it's, many it's going to be a hard sell. <laughs> yeah. So you know the, the the balance between trying to be a competitive team and going for the picks, I, I just I just I just see them probably going for the picks here, and um, that that's really the main surprise of the whole year was just how how, how uncompetitive the team has been, and they're going to take their lumps for it, man. I mean, Sunday when they were playing the Rams. There, there, there could have been fewer than twenty thousand people in that stadium. Um, oh there was six. There were sixty thousand plus um, uh, state, uh, tickets sold, and good on the Texans for being for even being able to sell that many. Um, but uh, it's it, I can't imagine by the seventeenth game when they're playing in January yeah, how many people even want to come around. out. Yeah, I mean you're just fighting for respectability at this point, and uh, to not lose the entire fan base. Uh, for just being a joke of a joke of a team on the field. I mean, it's a traveling circus in a lot of ways. Watching how badly they pay, play, so they're having to take their lumps and be patient and say, okay, what what can we get um, for the future? 
And uh, that's why I'm surprised. I mean, today is the first trade deadline day with Casario and, um, as his time as a general manager over a team. And he made one trade today. Yeah, Charles Amenahu. Yeah. Charles Amenahu, uh, who for the – I mean, he the stats don't show it, Daniel, but he was a, he was a starting – uh, defensive tack, uh, defensive end for the first two games, and he was one of their, uh, in terms of pressure and pro football focus, as uh, a pass rusher, he ranked second on the team, mm-hmm. and he didn't have a sack yet this year. But if I did a game film study, you could find that at HoustonChronicle.com. But I mean, you can see some spots where he's getting into the backfield and getting pressure, and they decided to play other players, and um, whenever they trade him, that shows okay, they still see value in him or trying to try to get something in the future for this player. Um, uh, so they, but they received a sixth round pick in 2023, which isn't, which is lower than what they spent on He's a former fifth round pick, uh, yeah. or fourth round pick uh, is lower this than, point, but at this point it's just about acquiring the draft picks at this, you know, for them, right. they have so little and, draft capital. Right. And that's why it was interesting that, that he was the only trade of the day. You have all, you have 31 other guys that are on one, uh, in the final year of their contract. And like we were saying, like, I don't think he's going to sign the majority of them back. Um, so my thinking is, uh, and we're going to talk to Nick Casario tomorrow, and I guess whenever y'all are listening to this is today, um, uh, that uh, it, um, there's nobody knows how the compensatory pick formula works within the NFL. They they keep that secret, but um, basically what happens is, and you know this, Danny, is like if if you lose a qualified uh, free agent off your roster, basically if you don't release a guy and his contract expires, if you have more of those players than you do the amount of free agents you do sign, then you're eligible for what they call compensatory draft picks. Um, and they hand out up to 32. Uh, they hand out 32 of them and teams can receive up to four in yeah. a given year. So if you, if, if let's just say like, okay, Mark Ingram was traded for a seventh round pick in 2024 and Charles Amenahu was traded for a sixth round pick in 2023, the compensatory picks would be coming out to 2023 if, if you're out there and you're like, okay, I wanted to trade tight end Jordan Akins, who um, might have been someone that could have traded for some draft capital, maybe a guy like Zach Cunningham, um, linebacker who's been uh, relegated to a reserve role. He, he led the NFL in tackles last year. But I'm almost wondering if teams that came to the table with Casario were saying, all right, we know you're, we know you're selling. Yeah. We know you probably don't have much leverage. Here's what you get. You get a sixth-round pick for Charles Amena, who's probably going to be uh, – who could push to be a starter eventually down the line. So if I'm concerned, I'm saying, like, this this is – it's not going to be worth it. Maybe um, you keep these players, let their contracts expire, and then the next year, if you were already aiming to the comp picks. three and 24 picks, maybe the yeah. comp picks end up being a fourth-rounder or a fifth-rounder, and that's better than what you were going to get for them by trading them to some team right now. So that's – but you, you can't – you Casario has no idea what the formula would be and whether he would get that, or maybe he has an insight and might might know. It's based uh, off yeah, the contract and playing time and whatnot, so you can never really say for all sure. of that. Yeah, right. So that would be that would be interesting to me to know whether that's that's the plan here. But and the, the the sheer fact that you and I are here sitting talking about like you know <laughs> uh, the, what compensatory pick the twenty twenty three just shows you how long this rebuild process is going to be. And yeah. they know that they knew that when they hired Nick Casario. They knew that whenever Callahan hired Nick Casario, they knew that they've been pursuing this guy. For three years, they tried to hire him three times. They finally yeah. got him. They, they got in trouble. I think they got in trouble for trying to hire him, and they finally they did. Him. Yeah, um, they did, and they they honored the 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 Patriots' complaint. They let him go, 
Um, they came back to him whenever he was available, did it the right way, uh, made it available. Uh, the Patriots let him interview him, and then they hired him. So he's going to have the time um, to make this rebuild happen. It's just the question then becomes, like, what's next year going to look like? Uh, you, you know, I, it, there was – it's even – and I'll say this, and maybe maybe readers care about this or not, but, like, so, like, whenever you're covering a team um, – you look at the players that are on the team and you can, you can choose to like write a feature about someone, write whatever else. But like some of these players aren't going to be around. You have no idea. Like one time, yeah. and I'm not going to really talk about what player, because it doesn't really matter, but like you, you start writing about a player and then you build a couple of uh, days on the story and then they're gone, you know, or they're, released. Yeah. <laughs> they're released and you're like, okay, well, this doesn't really make any sense for me to do anymore. So you also, that's, not gonna that's, be around that's what, that's what covering this team is like in a lot of ways. So it's like it's less about okay the team they have and more about okay how what are the pieces they're doing to eventually be better. And Houstonians are used to this. Um, the Rockets right now are in a rebuild phase. The Astros who are in the World Series and playing in Game Six tonight. So maybe tomorrow they they've been uh, blasted by the Braves or maybe a Game Seven is going to happen. But I mean I remember I grew up in Houston in 2011, 2012, 2013. They were losing 100 games a year. They were in a rebuild mode. Um, and there has been patience within fan bases before, but the overall um, feeling of the Texans is like it's completely different in the sense because of of how things how quickly things fell from 2019 to now. Uh, Deshaun Watson and his case, um, all all of that combined, it's just it, the, the, there's just really not much positivity to talk about um, whenever you're talking about the Texans, and they're going to have to weather that as a franchise to get. And Casario has to be able to, to to manage through that and figure out what he has to do to make the team competitive again. And I mean, you were talking about the Dolphins trade, and that's what makes this game interesting. You know, how do we make a one and seven versus one and seven game interesting now that without Watson being traded? Um, not that that's our job to do, but um, make it interesting. I, it's just like um, it, it, even looking at the what the Texans have in the future. Uh, 20 next year, they're going to have a first round and a second round pick for the first time in three years. And, oh my goodness. And, yeah, they've just been, they've just been it, like sucked dry for the past couple of years. And so, so I want to ask you this, this is really what I'm wondering if, if the, this was the chance the dolphins had, they built up to this moment. They lost, they, they traded uh, four draft picks, got them, they're going, and they were about to go ahead and part with trades and go all in on Watson and, and, and move forward there at one and seven. Where, where where is that regime right now? I mean, this has got to be disappointing. Yeah, and and that's why I for one I've been kind of consistent in saying that. Um, well, I thought that the trade shouldn't have been made. Or they should have made the trade months ago because of the uncertainty of the legal situation. But as the season progressed, and you saw that the team had way more problems that we had that we'd foreseen, and that they weren't just limited to the quarterback. Making the trade made no sense at all. I mean, there's some people that would say, make the trade now, and you know you're going to be terrible. Just sit him for the rest of the season, and at least now you have him in the facility. But it's like, now that you know that you have all these different problems, offensive line, um, inside linebacker, pass rush, it's like it doesn't make sense to give up all this stuff for one quarterback. Because I said that when you do that, when you give up all that draft capital, then you become the Texans of, you know, a couple of right. seasons ago where they were – they had a great quarterback and all these issues, and the quarterback was great, but he wasn't good enough to to mask all of their issues. So it's like exactly. – I think that the rest of this season will be really interesting because um, a lot of people see the second half of the season as like an audition 
for, for Tua. You know, whether maybe he plays well enough to convince the front office to not pursue a Watson trade. Um, I mean, there's talks that the head coach could be on the hot seat just in his third year. The GM, I mean, the fans are ready to get rid of the GM. And it seems like Watson is really like their saving grace at this point. Um, I don't know what Stephen Ross, the owner, will do once the season ends. If it continues on this road, it seems to be like a four or five, maybe six win season. Um, I'm not sure if Stephen Ross, I'm not sure what his thinking will be. Um, if I'm Chris Greer and uh, Brian Flores, I'm saying, hey, if we get, well, I'm trying to sell the owner on, if we get Watson, we're going to turn this around. Now, whether the owner buys that, I don't know. Um, but again, Tua is not the only issue if you consider him the issue on this team. There's a lot of issues, especially with the offensive line. Um, and I, like I said, I think that trading everything for Watson would be kind of a big mistake given the other you know, issues on the team. Yeah. And, and you make a great point and look at it because the Texans were 4-12 and last year, not because of the offense. I mean, Deshaun Watson threw for the most yardage in his career. His yeah. touchdown-to-interception ratio was at its best. They signed him to a mega deal before the season, and he lived up to the numbers. Um, their run game wasn't there, but it didn't matter. They were scoring enough points. The defense was atrocious. Uh, they were they were they were just you could you could list a ton of stats of the reasons why they were bad there. And I mean to go back to another trade that was criticized, perhaps one of the most criticized trades of all time in the NFL, Bill O'Brien trading DeAndre Hawkins for David Johnson and some picks to try and mask some of the piss picks that he lost for trading for Lammy Tunsil. Um, I mean, part of that was uh, you, you lose a wide receiver who's a, an all, a perennial all pro and is doing that again with the Cardinals, but yeah. they turn that, he turned like David Johnson gets the brunt of that um, in the, in the picks there. But one of the, one of the picks that he got, um, they ended up spending on a defensive tackle, Ross Blacklock, who is one of the better defensive linemen on the team right now. And they're trying to figure out how much he factors into it. Uh, but, when, when, you, when you start to, you know, try and mask up issues before, it's almost like, you know, uh, it, 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 it just – you said – like I, I want, I'm, I'm trying to make a comparison here. It's like you go to Yellowstone National Park and a lot of like um, – thing and follow me on this. This is like <laughs> park rangers generally tell you the story of how a place is. It's like, oh, well, we – you know, at one time we put the fish in here and that, you know, messed up the environment here. So we had to do this to it too. But then another problem happened. So, like, it, it's a, it's just a rotating uh, cycle of issues that you try and fill. And, and they got to that point with the, the Texans to where it all just had to, all had to crumble. Like, you, you had yeah. to start over from the beginning. So, uh, that that that's a position you don't want to be on as a team. And I mean, with the Dolphins, it sounds like that that could be a position you go. And yeah. like the Rams too. And I was thinking about this with the Rams, right? Like the Rams traded. Um, a lot of picks for the Stafford. Now they got Stafford. Now they're trading, um, you know, more uh, second day picks for Von Miller. Like they're going all in on this. And if they don't win a Super Bowl or don't compete for one, then what's it going to look like in three years? You know, those kind of decisions are really gutsy. But if you don't cash in, it makes it all the much harder. Like the Houstonians are thinking about, okay, well, they went all in and got Tunsil and they made it to the AFC divisional game and we're up 24 nothing on the Chiefs and maybe if they beat them they beat the Titans who they they won the AFC South and then they're playing in the Super Bowl how much different do things look a lot how much different, different does Bill O'Brien look he might still have a job <laughs> all the things that like you know Bill O'Brien as a GM gets criticized all night and day but as a coach 
all the AFC titles that they won from 2013 until he was fired. I mean, he was doing that not just not just. I'm not even saying the ones with Deshaun Watson, like Brian Hoyer, you know, Brent, T.J. Brock Yates, Osweiler, right? T.J. I mean, well, T.J. was uh, the final year of. Um, uh, oh well, yeah, T.J. did come back later. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's pretty impressive what he did as a coach offensively throughout those years. It's just his command as a GM ended up doing an end. Uh, but man, if you if you go all in and don't get it done, then you set yourself back for a long time. So it's it really is going all in. And I, I think I remember the Rams, he, even on their Twitter account, uh, uh, posted a gif of some, some dude dropping a chip and going all yeah. in. So like they're, they're, they're very, they're very open about the risks they're making. So, yeah. um, but it would, it would be interesting if the Dolphins uh, tried to do that as well. Um, and what would happen? Yeah. I don't foresee a move like that. It seems like they're in the past couple of years, they've been about, you know, acquiring the draft assets and then you really kind of build through the draft. And really the, the core of that was to attend about Loa. And while they weren't quote unquote going all in, um, in a similar aspect, if you don't hit on Tua, that's another move that can set you back for a couple of years. And uh, we're, we're still trying to see whether Tua can really be that guy. Um, but, but before I get you out of here, I do want to ask, um, what are your game predictions for this week? Um, both teams are on seven-game losing streaks. Somebody's got to win. Uh, I guess I'll go first. I think that the Dolphins will event i mean they'll 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 somehow win this game i mean they're six seven point favorites i wouldn't even put money on this game if i was a better so i think the dolphins are somehow going to win this game how about you all right i'm gonna i'm gonna give you two two outcomes here because it, I, I do think it, it's very seriously contingent on this if tyrod taylor plays the texans will win okay uh, the offense is is rotated around him. they built a run oriented scheme based on what he had run with greg roman and buffalo and it looked good against the Jaguars. They beat the Jaguars with Tyra Taylor, and the Jaguars beat the Dolphins in London. I think that the equation's there for them to at least get past the Dolphins and Tyra Taylor plays. If he doesn't, then I think the Dolphins win because the offense has been just re- remotely terrible, and they haven't been able to run the ball, and they got rid of Mark Ingram, who was their leading rusher. And whenever they played on Sunday against the Rams, it wasn't going. And the person that got the most carries was Rex Burkhead, um, who got a touchdown, and he hasn't – hasn't been effective throughout this year, and the, and the Texans are going to play in the Dolphins, and they traded for Larry Tunsil, and he's out. He, he's not playing. They're, they're out three offensive linemen, their left tackle, Tunsil, their right tackle, Marcus Cannon, who uh, Casario traded for with the Patriots earlier this year to acquire. Uh, Justin Britt is their center. He used to be uh, a Super Bowl champion with the Seahawks, but he's out on the, on, on the uh, IR. Um, so there's no protection for Davis Mills as a rookie. There's no run game there. Tyrod Taylor at least gives them the ability to run and at least play off uh, some of their um, run-oriented schemes. Um, and defensively, I think I, just watching how every quarterback that's played against the Texans has had just a day where they could pad their stats. And I think Tua Tagovailoa is at least a quarterback who's competent enough to find the holes within the defense, which has been pretty predictable so far. And they rank and they, and they, as many pass yards and touchdowns that are going against the secondary, the running game uh, defense for the Texans has been equally porous. They, they rank last in the NFL in yards. Uh, I mean, you could um, – just the way that the Rams ran the ball against them, I think the Dolphins could find that way too. Um, so – and that, that's how I see it. If Davis Mills plays, they lose. If Tyrell Taylor comes in, they win. Simple as that. <laughs> I got you, man. Like I said, one of these teams has got to win um, – 
they'll be linked for the coming months. And really, like I said, with the Tunsil trade, I think really for the next couple of years, um, I can't say Sunday will be a good game. It will be an interesting game. And you and I will both uh, be covering it. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, Brooks, I want to say thank you so much again for joining me. I really enjoyed your insight. Um, and I got to say, Godspeed and all the best covering uh, this this whole situation the next couple of months. Same to me, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah, you as well. And uh, we will. you're right. These franchises will be linked for a while. Not most definitely. Uh, to the viewers, or the listeners, I should say, thanks so much. We'll be back next week to wrap up, uh, recap another weekend of Dolphins football. You guys take care. Bye.